0: You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, this morning I'm, um, I'm really excited to introduce you to uh, Todd Leonard. I'm gonna have uh, Todd uh, come up here. Um, Todd is a, a friend of Aaron's and a, a friend of Central. He is the pastor of Glendale City Church, which is a Seventh-day Adventist church here, um, which means you're also available on Sundays. <laughs> yeah. um, and so Aaron's out of town uh, this week, and so we have the pleasure of hearing from Todd. And it's, uh, it's also always nice to know and be connected to uh, another community that's doing like-minded things here in Central. So um, Todd? Welcome.
1: Looking forward to having you. It's great to be with you guys. I uh, have a lot of fondness for your church and um, what you guys do in the community. Aaron came and spoke at our church just a few weeks ago and uh, was a hit. And um, we were really glad that he could share share his words. He talked about the queer God, which was excellent, excellent Um reflections on God really identifying with those of us who feel marginalized feel disconnected and that God actually fits right into that that God himself is one who is disconnected and and longing to be reconnected into the community into the life of of his human creation. And uh, I appreciated very much what he had to share. Um, our congregation and our normal ri- uh, ritual from week to week is to follow the Christian lectionary, which is assigned readings from the scriptures each week and and you pick from those scriptures what you want to preach about. And so we've been picking the gospel passage uh, for the week, uh, every every week here for this year. And so the passage that I shared with my congregation yesterday is the one I'll share with you today, which is Matthew 13, and it's the parable of the sower. This is a pretty well-known parable, but I'll just share it briefly with you. It's not particularly exciting. It's not uh, It's not particularly um, uh, earth-shattering information, but I hope that there's something here that will help us and lead us into hopefully good discussion here and then into application into our lives in the week to come. So you have the story that Jesus tells, and he says there's a farmer. A farmer is getting ready to plant his crops, and so he takes a seed and starts spreading it around, and he's spreading it around all over the place, and some lands on pathways that are on his property, and on the pathways, the ground is so packed down so hard that birds can just come along and the seed is still sitting there right on top of the pathway and they eat up the seed and so the seed never goes down into the soil into the the packed pathway. And he's continuing to sow seed and some of it lands on rocky ground and the seed that lands on the rocky ground the, the seeds put down some initial roots and start growing but then because of the rocks the roots can't keep spreading out to get the deeper water And as soon as it gets a little bit hot and a little bit and the weather's a little bit difficult, the plants wither and die. And he says, but the farmer also sowed seeds in other areas and it landed in soil that was rich and thick and good, but there was also thistles and weeds. And so the, the, the roots went deep with, the, with that seed, but as the seed started to sprout and grow, it couldn't go any further because thistles started to come around and choke it and the plant would wither and die because of the thorns and the parasitic plants and the weeds. And he said, but as the farmer continued to sow seed, some of it fell in very good soil, nothing in the way of it, no rocks in the dirt and the seed spread down its roots And started to sprout and to grow and to blossom, and it produced an amazing crop. In fact, it produced a bigger crop than anybody ever sees 30, 60, 100 times uh, what you would expect to see from a normal harvest. This soil grows incredible amounts of vegetables, fruits, wheat, whatever it was. It took off and, and grew like. Crazy. And he said, and that's what the kingdom of God is like. And that's the end of the parable. So I want to reflect with you a little bit on it, what he said, what Jesus interprets it to say, and to ask some questions about what does that look like for us today in our context. Jesus first says, this is the seed that the farmer is sowing is the seed of the kingdom of God? The message of the kingdom of God. And so that question, that, that raises the first question, which is, what is the message of God's kingdom? What is what is the what is God trying to say and what is God trying to do in the world? What is the message of God's kingdom? The best way to find that out, I would suggest, is to go and read through one of the Gospels. Pick Matthew, pick Mark, pick Luke, and you actually read through and see what Jesus says. It gives you a sense of what the kingdom of God is about. I will give you an initial thought about what it's about, and then I hope you'll push back and give me some thoughts later in our uh, discussion time. But I would suggest that when, when you look at the message of Jesus as what he's preaching to the people, He is addressing and confronting false things and wanting to make them right. One thing that he addresses again and again and again is the false government that exists in his time and place, his time he is ruled, all the people there are ruled by the Roman empire and Jesus is in his messages in his speaking he is exposing corrupt government what it's doing to its people how it's destroying their ability to provide for themselves how it's destroying the the nation in a way that it only exalts one one class of people one group of people over the other and so you have this you have a rich insider group a powerful insider group and then you have a vast and large Outsider group that is barely eking out a mere existence, marginalized people who have no hope of ever accomplishing anything more than getting another meal on the table. And Jesus exposes that system and says the system is corrupt, it's unjust, it is wrong. But then he also addresses another unjust system and he says there is this false, fraudulent religion this religion that has set up also an insider class and an outsider class, a group of people who are able to follow and and obey the the nuanced minutiae of religion that the, the religious leaders have set up, that people who are able to pay their way into being good people in the religious system. So again, somehow it's the same people who are, being uh, favored in the Roman Empire somehow are the same people who get favored in the religious system. And so either you're able to behave in a certain way and to accomplish all the minutia and all the, the rules and regulations that the religion pushes, or you're able to pay your way in, or you're able to somehow through your power and influence get your way into the system. And again, the religion excludes all sorts of people, people who have had more difficult life experiences, people who are in the marginalized of society, people who uh, are sick and unwell, people who uh, are poor, people who Uh, have no access to the same benefits and resources that others have. These people are all cast aside in the religious system and told they don't actually belong, that God's favor is not upon them. In fact, God's curse is upon them. And so you have this message of Jesus saying this system is exploitive and undermines the work of God. What you are doing with your religion is actually creating an image of God that is unjust, unholy, unloving, and absolutely wrong. This system must be overthrown and changed. Jesus very much came to reform the fraudulent Judaism of his time. This is not a a blanket condemnation of Judaism. We are surrounded by magnificent people who claim the Jewish tradition. But what he was addressing at the time was the leaders of the religion of his time had created such a fraudulent, corrupt, and unjust way of doing a faith tradition that it was harming so many different people. So Jesus, he addresses these false religions this, and this false government, and he says, what I want to see is I want to see equity. I want to see those who, are, who do not have access to resources, I want them to get more. You see him doing miracles like this, showing how he wants to change the system. He feeds, he takes one small uh, lunch of a little boy and he serves 5,000 people, people who who desperately needed a meal. Jesus goes and he makes sure that everybody gets fed. He says he wants to incorporate those who are marginalized and especially Uh, we see again and again in the stories of Jesus, we see him reaching out to people like lepers, lepers who had the skin disease that made them unclean, where they could not be part of the community. He went to those lepers, and he touched them, and he healed them so that they could be reintegrated into the community. Jesus also had a special affinity for women who, for whatever reason, society had 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 pushed them to the side, who had pushed them out and said that they did not belong because of one reason or another. They they had some kind of illness or they had committed adultery or something else. And Jesus goes and specifically does what's needed to bring them back in and to bring them back to a place of welcome and inclusion in their their local neighborhood, in their local synagogue, and to make them right again. So, Jesus, so this message of the kingdom that Jesus is preaching with this parable is he says, we I am trying to create this world. I am trying to create this world where no longer do corrupt governments and corrupt religion continue to marginalize and discount and undignify people by the way they are structured and organized. I am trying to change that system and trying to bring in an equitable, just, merciful and compassionate system of life where everyone has a place of belonging, where everyone has a seat at the table, where everyone has enough for what they need for the day and where everyone is respected and honored for who they are. That's what I'm trying to do. This is my message of the kingdom. And so I'm scattering this message anywhere I can. And this is what is interesting about this parable is this farmer in this story, is really very careless and reckless with the scattering of the seed. No farmer today would do what this farmer did, which is just to throw it around wherever and wherever it lands, whatever happens, happens. Today, we would have farmers very much doing pH samples of the soil, making sure it's fertilized just right, getting it watered just appropriately. So when that seed hits the ground, it has everything necessary to grow perfectly. But in this story, This farmer is just wasting, literally, it seems like, wasting seed and throwing it around. And it hits the hard ground where he says, where those birds eat the the seed that's on the pathway. He says, sometimes it hits people and they're just not ready for this message. There's just, they got nothing in them. They are are totally sold out on the other way of living, on the way this life is set up. And it's not going to do a thing for them, but the farmer still sows the seed still and, and in this and, and in the meaning of the parable jesus says the message of the kingdom what i want to do in the world i am still going to be nailing it at people who have no chance of receiving it because i'm still going to keep giving them a shot to open themselves up keep keep giving them another opportunity to hear what i want to do and to hear the beauty of what the kingdom of god will look like and try to hit them with it and he says, I'll throw it to into this other rocky soil for the soil that he says where people are, are ready to receive it, love what they've heard, love this message of inclusion, of radical equality for all this compassion and merciful kingdom that God is trying to create. And they love it and they eat it up. But as soon as it calls for any sacrifice on their part where it says, oh, I, in order to continue this message, it means I might need to give up something of myself. I might need to reprioritize my what I'm doing. I might it might require me in order to stand up for equitable workplace conditions. I might put myself at risk of losing my job trying to fight for the right workplace conditions for somebody else. And so when it means I put myself at risk, what it means I might have to make a sacrifice then Jesus says that's when in this situation, people will kind of say, oh, well, I really like the idea. I like the idea of the equitable kingdom, but I'm not ready to go all out and do the work myself to help bring about the equitable kingdom. And the whole point of Jesus scattering seed is he says, I want this message of the kingdom to be taken on by so many more so that we all work together. But these who are in the rocky soil, the ones who when life actually asks something of them, they pull back. I kind of think like these are the social media warriors. We can post on, on Facebook and Instagram all our righteous justice language, but when it actually means we have to stand up and do something, you know, or go on the picket line or, or go fight with the hotel workers or, or whatever it is, whatever group of people that we actually need our help, we don't actually follow through. And then he talks about how for some people they get the message and the message grows, but then it always gets choked out by the worries of life. And this interesting phrase, the deceitfulness of wealth. And that somehow Jesus keeps recognizing, and you will see this again and again in the Gospels if you read them, that somehow the wealthier you are, the more difficult it is for you to actually carry out the message of the kingdom. This is really interesting. It's really challenging. But what happens is those who are wealthier and wealthier have benefited from the, the existing status quo system. They're making bank on a corrupt system. They find respect and inclusion in faith communities because they give a certain amount to the church, and so therefore they, they are considered to be some of the best people in church just because they can give a little bit extra from their bank account to support the work of the church. And yet, ultimately, they have no vested interest in changing the governmental system, the economic system, or the religious system to benefit those who are on the margins. They are doing just fine the way they are. Therefore, there is no interest in changing the system. So how can, Jesus says, the deceitfulness of wealth is it actually tricks you into thinking the status quo is moral. The status quo is ethical, it is right, when in fact Jesus comes to completely undermine the existing political and religious structure. But then Jesus says there's a whole group of people out there that when they hear the message, they take it and they run with it, and you see it in their lives, you see the fruit they produce, they actually stand up for the marginalized and raise their voices. And they actually maybe put their jobs on the line or they put their status in the religious community. You know, I think one of the challenges that um, churches like Central have is because you're willing to take stands for things that are not necessarily popular stands in the religious culture. You limit your ability of people who will come into your setting. I think if if Central was much more of an empire-based religion, based on doing things that support and celebrate the status quo of the United States and support the status quo of Christian religion, you would probably have more people here. Maybe not you, but there would be others who would maybe come in and fill the pews because they have been, they are comfortable with the way things are. But Central has made that choice to be an advocate, to be a, to be a voice, to, to fight for justice, to, to challenge corrupt uh, status quo religion and to do something different. And you've paid the price for that. And you are experiencing the experience of, of people in your midst doing good work for the kingdom of God. You have chosen to produce fruit over producing popular or or being considered popular or being successful by the standards of the corrupt empire and corrupt religion that we currently exist within. You actually produce fruit. And this is what Jesus says is when you let the seed do its work in you, it does more than you can ever imagine. It takes hold and it it takes off and it grows. it, It continues to produce more and more in you because you are the good soil that takes in what the message is and lets it take over the land. So that's the general message of. The passage that was for this week. And so uh, that's what I wanted to share with you. And now I'm open to your thoughts and ideas as we continue to uh, wrestle with the passage. And do I pass them? Do, do I just go to the mic? Oh, okay.
2: I personally think the birds were really happy. <laughs> and to me, that there's a
3: value in pointing that out too that God's message is for all God's creatures and birds need to eat too. And but I liked a lot of the other things you, you chose to focus on, but I, I thought you
1: missed the birds. Uh, we shouldn't forget about the birds. That's a good point. And and, and environmental taking care of the environment is actually part of the message of God's kingdom, too, and that's uh, that's a good point, so thank you. There's one more thing I was going to mention as, as we're thinking, um, is that um, one of the ways that we can prepare to be, to continue to be the type of soil that receives and grows the kingdom of God is to, to practice awareness in our day to day lives, to take moments to center ourselves and put ourselves in the place of saying, Who I am in God. One of the things that we need to hear said to ourselves, and it's easy to forget, is that we are, that God is our parent, that we are God's children, that God loves us desperately, and that is all, that is at the core of his message, that he loves us. But then, therefore, because he loves us, it means he loves others, too. And so as we engage in our daily lives and we're interacting with people, if we've taken the time to see in ourselves that we are God's people, that we are God's beloved, that we would then, as we engage with other people as in our workplace, in our neighborhood, at our places of business, that we see the other people in our lives, we see them also as God's child, and that therefore they deserve our Our compassion, they deserve our grace. As Bob led us in earlier, they deserve our forgiveness, that we 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 recognize the inherent nature of God in the other. And so it's so important in that day-to-day practice of our lives to, to have that sense of awareness, to practice awareness of who we are in God and who others are in God. I think that is so crucial to maintaining that rich soil where God's kingdom can flourish. Uh, in us.
4: Hi, this is Akila on the Zoom. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Hi, thank you so much. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. I, I think one of the things that I heard um, is to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Mm. And even though it seems like it doesn't have an impact, we don't know necessarily what the impact will be, which reminded me of. Um, AOC, which I can't remember her whole name, but how she witnessed the um, people going to to protest the pipeline and then inspired her to get involved in her community. And now she ran for a house and she did all these things. And so like in the moment, even though it was a failure because the pipeline still went on, it feels that way. But then there are all these other things, all these other good acts that come from people witnessing good acts. And that seems like um, a, a large part of what you were saying as well. So I just wanted to point out that that's, that's what I heard.
1: I think, that's, I think that's a crucial point. I think that is, I think it is so much of the, the day-to-day things that we do. We really don't know the impact that they have. They they really don't. You know, it was interesting for me yesterday, um, a person came to my church who they had only been watching online up to uh up to yesterday. And yesterday they came and they pulled me aside afterwards. And they said, I just want you to know how much what you say matters to me. And it's like, I had no idea, I had no idea that I was actually having an impact in somebody's life out there. And then then all of a sudden, they they mentioned that to me yesterday. Um, But it is that day to day practice where you don't know what is going to what benefit actually pays off. And in fact, you know, you may be kind to somebody and they may return your kindness with bitterness, with anger, or it may feel like you're throwing a pebble um, into a pond, but it's, or or maybe the better metaphor is like you're in a rowboat rowing against a tidal wave, but you're still out there rowing and fighting against it. I think that is, I think you're exactly right that that comes to the message of the kingdom and again, and the and the way that the the farmer sowing his seeds kind of exhibits that thing is exhibits that principle is I'm going to throw it everywhere. I'm going to give everything a shot, and I don't know whether it'll work or not, but I'm going to get it everywhere. Thank you for that.
2: There we go. Okay, um, I've heard this, you know
3: throughout my life preached on in different kinds of churches over the years. And um, I like this angle that you're taking. And the, the way I have mostly heard it is from a place really of a lot of judgment about, it's not the focus on, it hasn't been focused on um, sharing the kingdom, through whatever, through social justice work or through kindness or through generosity or whatever the situation calls for, generously, it's been, the focus has been on, some people are hard soil, some people Mm -hmm. are bitter soil, some people are good soil, and you don't wanna be this person or that person, you wanna be this person, and it's all, self-focused is the way that I've heard the sermon, mostly either self-focused about what kind of person you want to be so that you can grow and flourish or judgment focused on what kinds of why somebody else isn't Mm -hmm. hearing the message. It's because they're hard or they're bitter or Mm -hmm. they're whatever. Whereas that's not my job. Right. My job isn't to determine what somebody else's experience is my job is just to give, and then it, you know, so I just wanted to say that I appreciate your perspective on that. It's really good.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that that's the one thing that really came out of me was the generosity of God, and the generosity that that he calls us to That it is really um, this, this reckless love and compassion and justice that he's calling us to.
0: Todd, I was uh, curious. This is Bob up top. Um, I was curious if uh, just knowing a little bit about your church and like, this is something that you guys in your community embody in a lot of real ways too. being a part of the seventh day Adventist church Mm -hmm. um, and still being affiliated with the denomination, but having like outward stances on ordination of women, inclusion of LGBT people and teaching of, non-creationist science perspectives and modern science. What has that process you're talking about here looked like for you and your community in being affiliated with your denomination yeah. and uh, being a part of that, like entrenched in that discussion all the time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for us, we've, we've paid the price for that um, over the years um, by making that choice um, our, our denomination is virulently anti lgbtq and um and our leader our global leader is is constantly attacking that issue and trying to nip it in the bud as quickly as possible because thankfully there are a, a handful of other de- or handful of other congregations in our denomination that are trying to to move in the same direction of lgbtq inclusion but it is it has been something where I have seen people walk out the doors I remember saying one week in church that you know you can you can lead our, our you can sing in the choir you can you can pray at our pulpit and you can teach our kids if you're LGBTQ and I remember that was the last week I saw three families with kids show up at our church because of the idea that they would they're oh no hold on you're saying my kids might be taught by LGBT teachers and they left um we saw people uh, stop coming to our church when we said Black Lives Matter after George Floyd was murdered. Um, it's 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 certainly when we've made that choice to to bear the fruit of the kingdom, we have we have paid a price for that, and our our attendance is not what it would be if if we didn't take these stances. So it's it's definitely been um, a situation where. We've paid the price. And then my and we're kind of considered the black sheep of the family as far as the denomination goes. And our, you know, we're not asked to really ever lead out in anything uh because we're not trustworthy, we're dangerous, we're we're misinformed, we're rebellious. And so it's it's definitely put us in a in an awkward position, even though our denom even though our denomination tolerates us to a point and partly that's because we still give a significant chunk of money to them. Um, That helps uh, cover over our sins, I guess. Um, But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of our experience being in that denomination.
2: I have a question. If you're giving money and you're supporting the
3: opposite view that you think Christ would do, how do you rectify that with your conscience?
1: That's a great question. Um, and I think what our our church's stance has been is that we are going to stay in the denomination to constantly be its thorn in the flesh, to be, a, uh, I mean, let, let me say it better, will be a pain in the ass to the denomination and and be a source of inspiration to... Um, other congregations who might be thinking of doing the same thing, um, and I know that we we are that to a certain group of congregations that are trying to to be inclusive and supportive, and um, and we've become a congregation of refuge where people who were going to get kicked out of their own Adventist churches become members at our church, and they become a place. So. Um, Yeah, we are supporting a denomination that's not doing good stuff. Um, But we've, in our minds, we're saying it's, we're doing good by making others think about what the denomination should do. And so we're trying to be an example, but there could be a good argument for saying that's uh, not the right thing to do.
3: No, I actually think that's an excellent thing because if you didn't provide that option no one might even know about it so i think you figured out how, why it made sense
1: i appreciate that it's uh but it definitely is a it's a conundrum kind of a a challenge an ethical it's definitely a place where we wrestle ethically with what's the right thing to do and how hard do we we push to to move in the direction we think we should move, and how much do we think we should to not rock the boat in order to stay and be make things uncomfortable? It's uh it's it's a constant ethical dilemma that we have to battle with.
2: That's actually my question. Uh, with uh,
5: like even our family, my family, um, it's a lot of the same kind of dilemma, and. I guess, how do you know when it's the right time to say something and when it's like, yeah, this isn't the hill to die on. This isn't the, you know, I want to be here so that people have a space to go and I don't want to lose that over this thing versus I have to say something. So how do you know, I guess?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is, yeah, that's a million dollar question. I, I mean, I think you don't. I think you have to constantly... Constantly think. Okay, it, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there is there is something about if you can maintain the relationship with somebody else. I, I think I think in general there is we're seeing in our in our world everybody polarizing over everything, and I think that ultimately is unproductive. Because if you're if you're not able to stay in a place of conversation, then nothing will ever change. nothing, nothing will happen. and And so I think valuing the relationship and and staying in it, sometimes, your nonverbal witness of what you stand for breaks through, even if you're not having the argument., um, I can say, like, again, in the context of our church with the relationship to our denomination, our local conference that is the direct overseer of us, what they know about us is they don't agree with everything we're doing, but they know where our heart is and they can't deny where our heart is. And so they they, they do interact with us saying, I know it's because you love LGBTQ people. I know, it, I, I know it's because of that. I know it's because you value people and, and love people who want to be part of a faith community, but can't believe in a 6,000 year creation history, uh, but you want them to be part of the faith community. So I, I know your heart. I don't think you should be teaching evolution. I don't think you should be uh, in welcoming LGBTQ people to the extent that you are, but I know your heart. And um, I think that that helps to some degree, but it's, but then, yeah, I, there are, there are hills to die on. And that's, and I guess that's, I guess maybe I would say it's when, how, well, a couple of things is when, when is it, when is there abuse really taking place? When do you, as a person say, you know, I'm, this environment is so toxic for me. I am, it is, it is harming me, I, I need to say something and if necessary, get out of it, then maybe that's the time. Or you see the person in your life abusing somebody else and there you see their actions actually harming, directly harming somebody else. And you say, you know what, I need to say something then because this is completely out of line for them to be, you know, bashing this person for that. that just a couple thoughts on that at least.
6: I'm um, also, I just have a thought that kind of goes back to the parable in particular, but also very much, I think, applies to this conversation. Um, yeah, previously in churches where I've heard that parable preached, it was like you were saying very much from a place of judgment. Um, and one impression in particular that I always got from listening to the that parable preached was almost like we as the chosen or the righteous or as the good soil we act like we have the authority to decide what kind of soil other people are to kind of like say like oh well I told them the gospel and they responded this way so they must be rocky soil or they must be the hard pathway Um, And that is very much a place of arrogance because it kind of comes from this idea that I have the authority and like the knowledge and wisdom to decide what real fruit is. And I have the, like, I've been given, I guess, the authority to decide whether or not someone else is legit. Um, And I don't feel like that is how jesus taught people to treat other people um but it's something that very much like i think that especially when it comes to issues that are controversial and political um there's ideas especially in like the mainstream evangelicalism of like okay yes like you might say you believe in jesus but you also support this political candidate so like maybe you're not as legit as i am um and so kind of just like writing someone off as like hard soil or rocky soil or whatever um and always kind of assuming that you are the good soil and i don't know i think i'm kind of rambling at this point but it's definitely like an arrogant judgment attitude that i always got from that kind of sermon
1: and i mean i and i think it, it it's actually, it's freeing in one way, and it's really challenging in another way, because in in one sense, it's so great to say, you know what, I can do good, I can love people, I can care for people, and no matter how they respond, it, it's me getting to experience the joy of being part of this message of the kingdom, and and so it frees us from having to say, did was I effective, did this person make a decision for Jesus. Did this person, does this person now choose the right person to vote for type of thing? And you can let it go. But at the same time, it's challenging because sometimes I really do just want to write people off. (laughs) I really, I really want to dismiss people as hopeless. And, and this parable says there aren't any hopeless people which is really, I mean, even though it says that maybe at, a, and, and this is the thing is it's at a time as, you know, it, is, everyone may have difficult times in their lives and they may not be as open to what we have to give them, but it doesn't mean that we don't keep giving it because you never know how that's going to change. But it, it is nice to write people off sometimes and, uh, and, just, and just call them horrible, awful people, especially political candidates. It's really nice to just, destroy them um so yeah it's it is it's a it's a it's a blessing and a a challenge at the
4: same time hi it's akila again on the zoom yeah hey hi um yeah thank you so much for talking about um what's happening with your church and i think um it's really helpful because like i have family who lives you know like i have family in florida And you know, people want to be like, well, why don't you just leave Florida? You can't just leave your home, right? Like, that's kind of the thing. Like, I'm not, I can't just leave my home um, and then somehow let the people who are doing horrible things take over. I have to, somebody has to stay to fight, right? So I appreciate you staying in the fight because I think that that's the the part that's really, that's really hard sometimes for me. I'll speak for myself for me to understand. Um, and so hearing that perspective and thinking about it and applying it a little bit more um I mean you're part of a global community but you know thinking about like how people I know who are in similar situations that maybe um it like it seems like the easy thing to do is to leave but the easy thing to do is it's not always easy to leave and also sometimes there are things that are really important that need to be fought for so I am, um, yeah, just made me think. So thank you so
1: much. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I appreciate that. That, that means a lot. Thank you.
2: I was just going to say real quick
5: in response to the question of like, how do you know which hill to die on? I think that's such a good question.
2: Um, I was just
5: reminded of the um, quote that, of course, I'm not going to be able to tell you who it was by. Um, but it essentially said like there comes a point that regardless of if speaking out changes the other person, there comes a point where not speaking out changes you. Um, And that's, I I find myself often coming back to that, to a, you know, it's like, is it even worth saying something? And at a certain point, I think we all know that feeling of like, if I don't say something that changes me and who I am and my values. Um, So I just want to share that, that I have not helpful in those sort of situations.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great quote, it really is. And we do, I mean, I yeah, I think we all do. We kind of, it, it gets to the point where it's like, you almost can't live with yourself and, and something has to be done or said, yeah.
2: All right, well, I think as we often do,
5: Bob, do we have the, there we go. Um, So thank you, Todd, so much. Uh, We really enjoyed having you. Um, And if you're not familiar, we uh, end every service with this benediction together. So I invite us uh, to say it together now. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life up. This world (laughs) and each other. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Go in peace.